to hold and give and do at the right time. And the right time is now for this bollocks podcast about the soccer's Jack Atkins, Clive F, the illustrious man that you are. How are you this fine snowy Wednesday morning? Is it is it snowy up there? Is it uh, right? It is. It's a, a light dusting, they call it in the trade. I do believe on the floor. Oh, fantastic! Because I'm I'm getting an early train into Newcastle tomorrow, so it looks like I'm going to have to pack me all weather. But uh, apart from that, I'm okay. I've just had a week off, and now I'm back. <laughs> That's that's about it. Don't look too happy about that fact. <laughs> what about the fact that I had a week off or about the fact I'm back? The fact you're back, you seem absolutely cock-a-hoop. As cock-a-hoop as potentially what might have happened on this day in football history. Clive, tell us what happened, Clive. Well, Ross... <laughs> <laughs> I watched the, the young ones yesterday for the first time in a while for no reason whatsoever and it's just where Rick's like Cliff Cliff <laughs> people's poet is dead Ross <laughs> he is dead after what he did in front of Alison Hammond last week the, the scoundrel the bastard did you see that yeah I did yeah what a twat but then I mean we are heading into the festive period and uh, you know say what you want about mistletoe and wine but Saviour's Day is a banger so yeah, we'll leave it at that you get the sway on it's a wonderful swaying song <laughs> anyway what happened on this day in football history Clive <laughs> well Ross uh, November 29th is the day we're recording in 1990 a Man United youth player received his first professional contract on his 17th birthday Ooh. Uh, his name was Ryan Giggs Oh, speaking of scoundrels, speaking of scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely fat shame people, Ryan Giggs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon if you put a list of bad things people have done, Giggs is ticked off at least half. Is there a list yeah. of bad things people have done? I'm not saying like he's done anything, you know, overly oh, yeah. bad. Well, he has done stuff that's overly bad. He's horrible. I'm going to stop talking. He's a prick. In, in terms of legally speaking, yes, it, legally bad things, yes. 2009, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chelsea 3, Arsenal 2 in the league uh, from Drogba, an own goal for Thomas Vermaelen and Chelsea were firmly top of the league at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's a very quiet day in football history. Um, I did my research yesterday on the 28th and got mixed up and thought, oh, loads happened today. I was like, oh no, hang on, that's the wrong day. Give us um, a little flavour of what went down yesterday. Can you remember anything from yesterday? Of course I can't. I can't remember anything <laughs> from actual yesterday either. But I just remember it going, oh, that's good. I think it was the first game to be played under floodlights. Uh, George Best turning out for, I think, Preston North End. Uh, that, that plane crash in Brazil a few years ago, that oh, was yeah. November 28th. Um, but instead today, it's uh, uh, Casey Keller, Nathan Dyer uh, and Ken Monku's birthday. And uh, let's not forget Eddie Howe as well. Happy birthday, Eddie Howe. Is it his birthday? Congratulations, Eddie Howe, for making it through another year of these yeah. referees. Uh, but more on them a little bit later on. Uh, I don't know what to say there. Casey Keller, I always remember him as being absolutely wank when we were kids. I remember him turning up for Tottenham. He was wank. I think there was Leicester in there before that. There was Leicester, He was yeah. wank. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, he went from having hair to having no hair. So I guess you have a little bit of a, a special place in your heart for him. Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course I do. Me and only other bald man, Casey Keller. Um, <laughs> I remember as a kid him being a novelty because of being a an American footy player and uh, often wearing a cap. And you're like, oh. Oh. It was, like, it was like only him and David James were like, 
cap wearers out on the pitch. And I was like, oh, look at him, renegade. Oh. And then Gabor Kirali came in for Crystal Palace and ripped up the rule book. There's caps, there's sweaty joggers, there's all sorts going on. The glory days of mental goalkeepers, as we were saying a few weeks ago. That but- was another one, actually. Um on, on November 28th, back in the day, uh, it was one of the days that Jose Luis Chilever scored a hat-trick. So there we go. <laughs> Could have had some Chilever talk, but no. No, instead we get Ken Monku's birthday. Why is Chilever the only goalkeeper to, to, to have done what he did? Why is he the only one? Free kicks, penalties, goals galore. I don't know. It must have been a draining thing. And it, not only that, it was the fact that on his... Um, his keeper top, he didn't have the sponsor. He had his own logo of a big bulldog with the thumb up, didn't he? <laughs> he was mental. Oh, man. Bring on more Shilavers. Anyway, we move on to the Champions League headlines from last night. There's only one real big headline to go for. It involves my team, so of course I'm going to be a little bit of a pissy bitch this morning. But I do mm-hmm. think, speaking of those pissy bitches, Jurgen Klopp and uh, Mikel Arteta should watch Eddie Howe's decorum and class and sophistication from after the game last night there, Jack Atkins. No, disagree with you. I watched his comments and he's like, oh, 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 we played well, but oh, we were robbed. No, I want fury. I want piss. I want vinegar. If you're robbed from blatant <laughs> cheating, I want, I want my manager to be fuming. Um, but like you said, he did he did handle it in a classy classy manner, but I, d- I don't mind a, a tetchy manager. Where's your boss? <laughs> <laughs> he drinks his cups of tea with a little finger in the air as anyhow. Anyway, the game on the balance of play, I'm not going to sit here and say that Paris Saint-Germain did not deserve to win the game. They had 31 attempts on goal to Newcastle's five, something mental like that. Newcastle defended valiantly. Eddie Howe didn't make a single substitution in the entire 100 minutes, which is making me fearful for Saturday's game against Man United because we're all <laughs> going to be absolutely knackered. I think we can call on Richie. Matt Ritchie, and that is it, and a couple of youngsters like Alex Murphy, who couldn't be named in the Champions League squad last night uh, for one mm. one reason or another. Matt Ritchie's not in the squad. I don't know why we couldn't name the under-19s, but there we go. That was a rule. So last night on the bench, we had Carius, we had Gillespie, <laughs> sorry, we had uh, Dubravka, we had the two goalkeepers, we had Paul Dummett, we had Lewis Hall, and we had three children. That was the bench he had last <laughs> night, so he made no substitutions <laughs> at all. So yeah, it, it, it was a fantastic display last night from Newcastle for really, like... Uh, disciplined and other words like that from the football book of cliches but of course it all comes down to the decision at the end I did a video last night because I was that furious I was joining the likes of Tim Sherwood and Paul Merson in my fury last night at what went down and who else was it was Ali McCoist he was he was he was beside himself after the game Ali McCoist and um, because earlier in the game Lewis Miley had the same thing happen to him. The ball struck him on the thigh, hits him on the hand, no penalty. Tino Livramento, arguably less of a penalty because his arm's sort of like, he hasn't got his arm fully outstretched like he's directing traffic or he's an air traffic controller on yeah, the runway. He's, like, he's just sort of got it like bent under himself kind of. Hmm. Um, but it hits him on the tit, hits him on the hand and I just think the referee caved because of the atmosphere and gave the penalty right at the end when it really mattered. Again, on the balance of play, PSG fully were deserving of their draw, so I'm not going to be too pissy and moany about it, but it's just the fact that the legislation literally says in instances like this, they don't, they're not penalties, but that was given as a penalty last night. Yeah, it was absolutely disgusting. Uh, like you said, on the balance of play, PSG definitely deserved to come away with something, but going with your pure heart, 
no, they didn't at the same time. Like you said, a valiant display, especially in defense, ridiculous. Especially when you got Neymar doing all this, like little, was it that back heel shot that went straight at Pope? I think and... you mean Mbappe, Jack Atkins, Jack. Mbappe. Sorry, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just thinking of Nick Pope's wonderful form. It was like, it doesn't matter who shot against them. Um, yeah. Um, so going forward then, you've got you've got Milan at home, haven't you, for your last game? And you need a win and you need PSG to draw. Yeah, we need ideally PSG. Well, draw or lose, I think, because of yeah. goal difference. Because uh, now that after that, it completely changed the group. We were second in the group behind Borussia Dortmund, who qualified last night after their three-one win against AC Milan. Up the Gittens from the Hats career mode, doing it in real life for Borussia Dortmund. Um, but yeah, their win last night it puts them on ten points. Now PSG are on seven, and then Newcastle and Milan are on five points each. But Milan's goal difference. I think it's minus four, and Newcastle's a zero. So we need Newcastle to win, and then uh, PSG to lose to get through the, the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Which, if at the start of the game last night, if you're going to offer me that scenario, I'm thinking, well, we must have done quite well last night. But it's just it's heartbreaking because they were they did create a, a couple of good chances, but they were mainly like shooting from distance. There was a couple of ones where they did miss a couple of sitters. I think Mbappe when he tried the flick at the start of the game. And then there was the guy who I always called Barcode, but his name's Barcola. He came on in the second half and he missed a couple of sitters as well. Um, but apart from that, I thought Newcastle were... We, we did a lot better than I thought we were going to do. With the team and the, the the players that we had available, we, just, we, we, we held, but then we gave at the right moments. John Barnes was smiling. It's in the way we were talking what a week or two ago about the 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 apparent crisis that Newcastle were under. You had no players, etc. And like you said, even though you had like little children on the bench and Loris Carrius, the fact that you got this result and as we'll come to talk to you later, performances in the Premier League, I'd be feeling somewhat buoyant as a fan. The fact that you're coming out of PSG at in Paris and feeling like oh we've been robbed there. That's amazing. Yeah, imagine saying that two years ago about Steve Bruce's Newcastle. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> imagine saying it just Joe Linton. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we need to talk about VAR. It's We've been saying it on the podcast for a long time. I did see a couple of comments on the video I put out last night of people going, oh, it's only bad now because it's happened in Newcastle. And I was like, at least watch the content that we're making before chatting absolute bollocks. VAR you needs... say this since day one. I yeah. know, we say it every week, don't we? No matter who's involved, go back to when Liverpool and Spurs is the big one, Luton and Wolves, which is where my sort of... Um, Gary O'Neill exposed this ruling to me in the Premier League when uh, it, I think it was Nunez for Wolves I might be wrong there but the ball hit him I think on his leg then his hand it gave Luton a penalty when in the legislation in the Premier League which I've been led to believe is pretty much the same as the Champions League because there was recommendations made at the start of the season by IFAB and other corrupt bodies like that I don't know what's the corrupt um, but yeah apparently just that that is the rules if it hits a one body part then hits the other it's not a penalty I just I don't know why the referee didn't give it for Miley and then did give it at the end of the game when initially he didn't give it but it's this VAR open it up to several more subjective levels of potential human error in terms of big decisions like that I'm fully on board now we've been a little bit well we've been a little bit on the fence haven't we I think have we been on the fence I can't remember if I actually said it needs to go You've said it needs to go. I've said that there are elements of it that, for me, could work if tweaked. But you've said just out and out, get rid. I've changed my opinion slightly after last night. For offsides mm. and goal line technology, it stays. It's fine. But for mm. subjective decisions like that one last night, where the referee on the pitch initially didn't give it as a penalty, but then two lads in 
Le Stockley Le Parc in France <laughs> have, have, have brought, brought him around and made him change his decision. So when it comes to like calls for fouls and whatnot, I would rather, I'm, I'm more at peace. And this goes back to other teams being involved as well. It's not just Newcastle. I'm more at peace at one human's error rather than two or three human's errors. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, like you say, and the, the ref flapped it as well. You say the occasion was it the 96th minute as well. Yeah. And then the actual one one of the big criticisms we amongst many of us have had of VAR is the kind of subjective imagery. Like it showed it cascading off his tit onto his arm. It showed it a few times and then held the screenshot of it hitting his arm. And obviously that's going to be the mental image burnt into the ref's head. And they slowed it and sl- showed it in slow motion as well, which doesn't tell the picture at all how close yeah. the ball or well, the guy I forget who kicked the ball um, actually towards him, but how close he was to. Uh, Livermento's tits. He was just—he was right next to them. He couldn't get out the way. And the, the, I was saying the Flash couldn't get out the way, and he's the fastest human being I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen—I've never seen anything involving the Flash. I just know that he goes wow, wow, ch-chong. He is apparently fast. That he's like that—that uh, that hedgehog. <laughs> Sonic, up the Sonic. But yeah, it is a shame because this referee that we had last night, I've got his name written down here, and I'm going to completely butcher the pronunciation. Marchinek, oh God, oh, whatever his name is. He, he refereed the Champions League final and the World Cup final, so apparently he is the best in the business. He's the modern day, oh, I've forgotten his bald compadre's name. The most uh, Pierluigi Colina. Pierluigi Colina, thank you very much, Jackins. It's early in the morning here, so he did have a fantastic game. Up until... We swapped roles then, that was amazing. <laughs> up until it really hampered my team. Like, he had a great game up until then. But it was true, though, because he was given yellow cards when they were yellow cards. He was given fouls when they were fouls. It was just, it was a seamless game up until at the end there where VAR scuppered his opinion, in my opinion. Yeah, because like we said before, it's it's ruining, it is ruining the game. And... Again, it's the unknown. In that final 90 seconds, Newcastle may have conceded, but we don't know. And if if Newcastle don't progress through the Champions League, then that will have cost you a lot of money as well. Yeah. And that's all football comes down to, unfortunately, in the 21st century is money. We'll not mention the, 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 the screen yard foul where he handles the ball on the floor uh, when Isaac's through one-on-one. We'll try and not mention that one, but there we go. Newcastle, <laughs> can, I think I'm, I'm proud to be a Newcastle fan today. We did well. We did well in the game, but we go now to the Premier League game week 13. Let me tell you, this was the hardest, because we don't do every game, otherwise we'd be here all bloody day. Uh, this was the yeah. hardest weekend so far this season to narrow down into a fair few games because every game slapped. Hmm. Apart, yeah, from the, I, I, apart from the one that, that featured the two heavyweights, but because of the two heavyweights, I feel like we've got to talk about them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was expecting us to talk about Tottenham and Villa at one point as well. But like you said, there was that much going on that it, it, had, to, it had to hit the deck. Well, let's touch well, on Tottenham versus Villa. Hey, three defeats in a row now. Postacoglu out. Oh, are you over Ange Ball, are you? Yes, it's terrible. <laughs> Forget about his injuries. Forget about all sorts. Forget about the fact they're still, I reckon, batting above their average for what people expected for them at the start of the season. I'm sitting here saying it with no irony or satire in my voice at all. Ange Postacoglu out. And I'm sat here with no irony 
in my voice saying that I am absolutely terrified of Aston Villa. <laughs> they are good, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching Match of the Day 2 for this game. I couldn't see the whole game live, but they were just saying how Emery is making these changes at the right moment and they're always paying off. Like Matty mm. Cash, his foul on Benton call was... It was horrible, right? We'll say it's horrible, but it really made me smile because it, it made me remember of years gone by, a bygone era in football that doesn't exist anymore. He sized down Benton Coe. He deserved his yellow card. It could have been given as a red. We've seen them given uh, for, for less in this modern game that we call professional association football, but it really it made, it's, it's made me well up now. It's, it's two words come to mind, Ross, and those words are blood and thunder. That's all I'm saying. Two words are coming to my mind, and it's David <laughs> and Batty. <laughs> but I, it, uh, yeah, Villa are looking very, very good. Obviously, Pau Torres gets the first goal, and Watkins, who, what a finish that was. Oh, my God. We, we were saying last week, doing our team of the season, that um, Watkins both n- narrowly missed out of both of our team of the season so far, but if, like you say, a hat-trick helped him become a one-and-two player, but if he's keeping up this form... I don't know. I don't know how far Villa can go, honestly. I think they're considering they're, how they're tied with you now at the minute, aren't they? Or a point? Yes, the tied with us. The tied with us. We're third. They're fourth. I think on twenty-eight points. City on twenty-nine. Arsenal third. Yeah, but it's close. Jesus Christ. It's close, Jesus Christ. I mean, Newcastle are the lowest one there in seventh. I think we're on 23, so we're just five points away from those mighty Reds. Mm. And speaking of those Reds, they went to the Etihad Stadium where Jurgen Klopp had won since his first season in charge of Dem Reds back in 2015, which I thought was a shock. Yeah, we, we, we don't do well at the Etihad, but we do well, well, in the league, and we don't, we usually do all right at Anfield, which is the case for most teams, isn't it? <laughs> Away, uh, home, yeah. But um, yeah, I was dreading this game. Absolutely dreading this game. Went out for a nice breakfast with my friends. Went to uh, a lovely pub called the Queen of Hope Street. It was my favourite kind of weather. Ooh. It was dead sunny. It was really cold. Uh, and we were sat there just like not looking forward to this. But the game um, itself, it went all right, I thought, for Liverpool. Yes, Manchester City, I didn't feel got out of second gear again as they haven't done for large parts of the season. But hmm. whereas in normal games, they're still steamroller teams, Liverpool kept themselves in it. They didn't really have too many clear-cut chances, I thought, Manchester City. And then Trent, who narrowly misses out on my highlight of the week this week because he's got that new boot deal with Adidas and he's brought back, he's brought sexy back Jack Atkins like Justin Timberlake. He's brought back the tongued predator. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, I know, I know. Because people had noticed that on social media beforehand, because Liverpool, probably like Newcastle, it's very much an Adidas city. Um, you know, casual culture and all that, get the badge in. Um, <laughs> no, that's Stone people... Island. Don't get that badge in. You're a nonce if you Ooh. do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, people were saying, oh, is he wearing white preds? I think he launched the white predator and was at... Um, Bellingham launched the new Black Predator, I think, right. for Dortmund, but both at the same time. And Real Adidas Madrid. must be... I'm... <laughs> I've had a week off. I've had a week off. <laughs> and also, you know, everyone knows I'm, I'm six months behind everything else. But um, Adidas must be absolutely thanking their, their lucky stars because the, the advert they got for that shoe in that game 
brilliant. You couldn't pay for it. Was a pinger into the far bottom corner before that. But I want to I want to talk about Allison because I want to know a Liverpool fan's opinion on his game because it was so such a weird game. Yes, he makes a couple of good saves, but his kicking. What was he doing in the first half? He's trying to pick out a counter attack. He kicks it straight to Phil Foden, gets away with it because Foden mm. strikes it straight at him. Um, the, the 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 kick out for the first goal for Haaland, I guess. It's harsh to go like that's a mistake from Allison, but he did slip. He was maybe overzealous a bit in his execution of the kick. If you are being an arsehole about it, which I don't want to be, but this is what people are saying, aren't they? He slipped on his arse, which sort of led to Ake doing a jinking run, like a slalom skier, before playing in Haaland. Haaland has a look over his shoulder before he gets the ball, which I thought was, ooh. Just seeing that slow down in, in slow mo, it felt like he was a superhero, like Batman. Oh, utility belt, but it's a neck on a shoulder. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying there. And he puts it in the far corner to become <laughs> the fastest Premier League player to 50 goals in 48 games above Newcastle's Andy Cole, who took 65, and Shearer for Blackburn, who took 66. Yeah, he's a some player, isn't he? I like the fact that you've mentioned both the, the Flash and Batman <laughs> in the space of about five minutes. As for Alisson, um, again, this is getting a little bit of you know a Liverpool fan moaning, but for the... 500th time we've had the early kickoff after an international break never mind the fact that you know the core of our team now is South American um, Alisson played Brazil Edison didn't for City and ooh all of City's injured players came back alright for the league didn't they um, but Alisson <laughs> he, he had a shocker um, he did make some really good saves like you said and but his distribution I just think he was knackered. McAllister had said after the game that in, in the lead up to the training when they were having team meetings, he was that tired that he was nodding off oh. at times. So, yeah, I think we were just just battered really, but managed to come through it. When I saw the team set up, I thought if we can get at their three, we'll have a field day here. But they won the midfield. Um even though, again, our midfield, I think, had a good... I think uh, Alexis McAllister had a fantastic game. It's not like our midfield played bad. I just think their midfield were more drilled for the majority of it. Yeah. But I forget mm. about the international break when it comes to South American players and the travel that they do because we do at Newcastle have Bruno Guimaraes and J7 mm. who turned out for Brazil. Joe Linton's right card for Brazil. Did you see that, by the way? No, I didn't see it. He just sort of went... As the guy, he's running side by side with the fella <laughs> and he goes... And he gets given a red card. It's the worst red card I've ever seen. But yeah, they they come back and are absolutely fine. So I'm going to say your excuse for Allison being tired is misplaced, sir. Did you have the half 12 kickoff, though, for the 400th time? We had 3 p.m., which is two hours away. <laughs> it's not that different. Um, so yeah, but again, we got to speak about Allison because it was a big talking point of the game. In my mm. opinion, that thing from the corner, it was not a foul. Yes, the hand is there. But my God, that wouldn't keep down. That wouldn't keep down. That wouldn't keep down a floating candy floss, Jack Atkins. Wow, it's strong words there from Ross Twaddle. I was trying um, to think of something that rises, but it's really soft. <laughs> that wouldn't keep down an erect phallus, <laughs> Jack Atkins. <laughs> you can hang a wet towel off it, Ross. Um, I'm obviously gonna. I, I I can't. I can't separate my bias. On no, this take your I, blinkers off. You're a football pundit when you're sat here, Jarkins. Tell me if it's a penalty or not in your unbiased football journalist opinion. I've seen them given either way, Ross. <laughs> in the pub, there was instant uproar, like a straight to my feet kind of 
that has to be ruled off. Um, soft, definitely soft. Uh, but it's the rules of the game. Um, weirdly, though, tried to skirt around this without giving a, a definitive answer. Um, it, it wasn't as mardy a game as I'd expected. I think the amount of red cards we've had this season already and the fact that it's becoming less of a contact sport has really played into our psyche a little bit because we weren't really throwing in tackles. We weren't going all blood and thunder like Matty Cash, like you said. Um, and it was it was surprising. I, I felt like we played like a bit like, oh, on uh, on the back foot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, um, but you would do what the Eddie had, though. I thought, as I say, I thought you were, maybe City were the better team because they were just having mm. lots and lots and lots of the ball. But I thought Liverpool really hung in there and they could have nicked it towards the end. But I think you're, you're taking a point there, aren't you, surely? I was taking a point before the ball kicked off. Like you said, if we haven't won there years in the league. So, yeah. And the fact that we're only a point adrift of City now. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything to say about Trent's goal? I don't think we covered that massive. We're just speaking about his boots rather than the goal itself. Um, <laughs> at the time, I thought I broke my knuckle punching the table that hard. <laughs> what made I you punch the there, table? <laughs> I just sat there banging the table going, yes. Uh, my mates were six pints of Guinness deep each. And this is about quarter past one. So they were just there just going, need another poo. Um, and I was punching the table. That's just one of those. It's just how we react in the moment. But it was it was beautiful. Uh, I really liked the celebration because, of course, I did. Um, Fantastic pictures whenever anybody does that these days. You get a couple of camera phone wankers in the crowd who are the day trippers, obviously. But the the the, the unison of like flicking the yeah. Vs at the player is always sensational. As it should be, yeah, it should be. Like, don't be throwing coins or anything, but flick the Vs, definitely. <laughs> I can't see that die. The thing I have liked about it this weekend and with Trent's displays for England during the international break is... Um, the, the kind of discourse has changed once again from people saying, oh, he's crap him, he's really crap, to people saying, oh, he's a generational talent, we just need to coach his defensive work a bit better, especially with uh, what happened to Reese James, which we'll talk about soon. And with Tino Livramento. I don't know if you watched mm. the game last night, but he was 10 out of 10 again. Oh, he's beautiful, yeah. Oh, what a player, what a player. Surely going to get an England call-up soon. If Rico Lewis is getting in there, Tino should be there nearly soon as well. Right, we go over to the Ev from the Reds. They lost 3-0 at home to Manchester United. But this, of course, was a big news game because it was the first game after the points deduction. Hannah to Everton, they've appealed it. We're still waiting to see if the appeal is going to come to fruition or, you know, be a bit less harsh, as I think we all think it should be. Yeah, um... I had this one on live and my missus was saying, why are you watching Everton versus Man United? And I was like, because I, I thought the Ev were going to come flying out of the traps for this one. Um, my brother, my nephew came back from Salford for this one. They were part of the demonstration. And while I think the wording of the demonstration was a bit misjudged, it was nice to see them take action at the same time, if you know what I mean. It's not the word corrupt, is it? The word, It's the wrong word to use, corrupt, because what they've done... and like. Handing Everton some sort of like uh, ramifications for their overspending is is fine. I think everyone's happy with that. It's just are they are they self serving? I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of the right words, but it wouldn't look good on the banner. That would it? The Premier League are self serving. The Premier League are insincere. The Premier League, <laughs> the Premier Premier is slightly hypocritical, I do believe. <laughs> the Premier League needs to, needs to take a long, good, hard look at themselves in the mirror. There's a a really good piece by uh, Martin Samuel in the Telegraph this past week of him talking about it, saying that he's he's not an Everton fan as far as I'm aware. I think he's a Cockney, so I don't think there's too many Cockney Everton fans. But he was saying it was more 
he felt that Everton were hard done by because the kind of the, the overspending rule, he says, is a Premier League and FA drawn up thing, if you know what I mean. It isn't out and out cheating. It's more just kind of like bad book management, but also a gamble they have to take to try and break into the top six, if you know what I mean. Like we're saying, corrupt doesn't really feel right because they have, whether you agree with the rule or not, they did break the rule and they have been done for it. It just feels, I think the corruption side of it just seems to come from how quickly, like we were saying the week, how quickly they've reached the decision. Yeah, but again, on the on the flip side of that, they played devil's advocate in front of you now, Jack Atkins. They were given mm. warnings by the Premier League themselves, like, no, steady now, you are getting a bit close to breaking these rules three or four times, apparently. And they still went and did it, so cheers for that. Farhad Mashiri, you dick. <laughs> As for the game itself, I was disgusted by Sky Sports' attempt to cover up the protests. I was watching that yep. game and it was just they, when it was in the 10th minute, wasn't it, where the entire stadium put those placards up and the, the way they sort of zoomed in on the pitch to not put any of the crowd in. I know Sky Sports pay the Premier League a lot of money and maybe the Premier League were like, oh, could you help us out here a little bit, lads, by not mm. you know highlighting the issue. But it's for the fans, man. Sky Sports is not there to serve the Premier League, is it not? It's there to serve the fans. Well, we, we've said this before about bad VAR decisions that they, they seem to, you know, especially the, the Howard Webb and Michael Owen laughter hour, as we like to call it, uh, seems to kind of support the referees rather than bring the game into question, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That, that was badly worded, but... Um, and again, like you said, yes, the Premier League do are paid a lot of money by Sky, probably wanting to do each other a favour. But the fact that it was kind of just glossed over, it, it is a talking point. It is something that needs talking about. You can talk it in uh, talk about it in a straight down the middle, apolitical manner. You can say, this has happened. They're annoyed about it. Some say this, some say that. This is what's happening. You can't just be like, oh, look how lovely that uh, pitch is on a cold November in, uh, in Merseyside. <laughs> How's the pitches in Manchester, the blue side of Manchester and mm. West London? How are they looking at this time of year? Oh, they're looking splendid. Nothing wrong there. Anyway, Garnacho, two and a half minutes into the game. How the bollocks has he done that? Uh, it's, a, it's a goal. Never mind of the season. It's an all-time Premier League. It's an all-time Barclays classic. Underneath Oof. the floodlights. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Rooney's from a technical standpoint because he hit it clean as a whistle. Uh, even... Sean, she's not really a football fan. She saw it and she went, oh, bloody hell. And I was like, <laughs> I know. I was like, it was, a, it was an absolute peach. Um, I, I did feel bad for Everton though, because it it didn't fully take the wind out of the sails, but it did put a dent in them. Uh, my nephew afterwards was posting memes, just like, yeah, yeah, it was good. I don't care, but it, yeah, it was good, but I don't care, you know, that kind of attitude to it. I think they, they all did have to uh, kind of look at it and say, that was an all-timer, but... Could you imagine being a fan in that ground though? Like the first two minutes is like, ah, death to the Premier League. Ah, this is unjust. I hate it. Oh, oh fair, fair play. That's a, a pretty decent strike, that. <laughs> That's better than Tony Yabower. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the thing, I think the thing that sets it apart from Rooney's ever so slightly, if you look at the work he has to do while the ball's in the air to get mm. in position to get that shot away, I don't understand how he got there. He's only a little man. <laughs> yeah. He leapt like a salmon, Ross, like a salmon. Um, but, uh, the, the old cliches of the vision, the fact that he kind of backed himself to do that, because that's what, again, Sean was saying. She was like, what What goes through a footballer's head to attempt that? And you're just like, just knowing 
knowing yourself, knowing your limits, and also I think seeing the headlines as well. I think he did see it, but you know what? I'm going to go for it. But he'll he'll be dying off that for the rest of his career, and you can't blame him. That was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I do wonder what would happen if a goalkeeper with regular sized arms was in nets for that one. Because Pickford, he got close to it, but I reckon if that was any other goalkeeper in the league, they might have got they might have saved it. <laughs> yeah, without having to dive, probably just stand and just, just reach to one side. Ee! Yeah, he got there, but not quite the little T-Rex arms prick. Anyway, Onana and the other girl had a very good game for Manchester United. I thought there was the one from Garner Gay in the second half where he sort of, he always gets a big palm to it, doesn't he, Onana? He never tips them away. It's always like a bosh. Even when it's flying in the top corner, like that was from uh, Idrissa Garner Gay. Then we've got to speak about Mainu, I think you say his name. The young boy who played in central midfield for Manchester United, <laughs> who looked unbelievable for 18 years of age to be put in a, a cauldron like Goodison Park. An absolute pressure cooker environment it was, Ross. Um, yeah, it's it's because we've we've again said weeks upon weeks upon weeks that we, we don't understand United and that United need a bit more of a spine. But like you said, basically just based on this one appearance, if he can build on this promise and build on this performance, Man United might be all right. Because yeah. he was imperious, Ross, in that midfield. Mercurial. Ah, his, uh, his goal line clearance is one of the highlights of the game, apart from his, his passing and just general sort of calmness on the ball. He was very Lewis Miley-ish. <laughs> then we have Decore putting a great chance wide for Everton, who did have a lot of chance on the day, I thought, but again, a combination of Mino on the line, Onana having a decent game, Calvert-Lewin being a bit wasteful, but you can't be too harsh on him, can you? Mm. And then we get to the penalty decision where Young and Martial come together. I was shocked at how many pundits were saying it, it wasn't a pen. It just... It, it was looked- a... It looked like a pen to me. <laughs> yeah, it, same to me as well. I didn't really have many problems with it. Again, like we've said already, it was soft, but in the context of the modern Premier League, it, it is a pen at the end of the day. But um, good on Bruno Fernandes. I never thought I'd ever say that. Yeah, it, it's good captaincy that when your, your teammate's not knocking in the goals he was last season. So you, you put one on a plate in the form of a penalty, then he just goes and yeah. steps up and twats it in the top corner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I did feel though that the the score line though it it's one of those where if you read it oh United went to Goodison and won three 0 you're like oh they must have battered Everton I, Everton I I do think it, it kind of flatters United because Everton were he said wasteful uh, United marshalled well but it it, it marshalled well even, who scored the third didn't even mean that but um it it feels like a harsh result. Yeah. At the same time, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a 3-0 game. No, definitely not. Yeah, so Tony Martial gets the third, going through the middle, <laughs> dinking it over Jordan Pickford. Lovely finish, but yeah, as you say, Everton were... I think if, you, if, you, if you're an Everton fan, I know you've just been twatted 3-0 at home by a team who's, you know... People say they're in and out in form, but they're still sixth in the league. They're still doing okay, despite how bad yeah. you know it feels like they're doing this season. And the fact you've been handed a 10-point deduction, I'd still be pretty fine with where you are currently. I know it's, it's not looking good because of results elsewhere. Over the weekend, it's looking a bit worse than it did before uh, the, the weekend's games kicked off. But I'd, I'd still be relative... Well, I'd still be very confident you survived relegation. Yeah, like Everson didn't shrink at all. Um and it was like we were saying at, at the beginning of the season before they went on that little run, they do everything right, but score sometimes. And when they were going on that phone, when Calvert-Lewin came back, they were just they were finishing the dinner, they were getting the results. And again, it's one of those, they did everything right but score, which sounds stupid and sounds like a football cliche, but it is true. They didn't have a bad game, just 
Man United, a bit more luck, a wonder goal, and just better drilled. Yeah, and it's not the first time we've said that about Everton this season, is it? They are doing all right under Sean Dyche. <laughs> Brentford nil, Arsenal one. Arsenal now return to the top of the league because that result at the Etihad Stadium, as you said earlier on, it is now Arsenal 30, City 29, Liverpool and Villa 28, and Spurs 26 at the top of the table. This is the sort of game that, let's bring out the cliche book once again, this is the sort of game that is the earmark of champions. They're not playing too well, but they've won <laughs> when it matters. 1-0, 89th minute goal. Mark Flappen, as we like to call him on the podcast because he can't catch a cold. Uh, he has the ball put through his legs very deftly by Kai Havertz in the 89th minute, as I said there. A deep cross from Saka. A wonderful finish, I thought, from Havertz. I think he meant to do that, put it through the keeper's legs when he was sort of advancing towards that far post. Um, but Arsenal... They held on a little bit. Neil Mopé had a couple of good chances, especially the one where Zinchenko cleared it off the line where it didn't look like Ramsdale was getting there behind him. Um, Arsenal just sort of... It didn't feel like they really got going until Trossard had that disallowed goal, which... Uh, I read I read sometime over the past two weeks about the the Wenger rule, which apparently is being mooted about uh, UEFA and whatever governing bodies have stuff to do with anything. It's basically, if not, let's just say, defender is this pen. And if the striker is my finger, this is no use for people listening on Spotify, but if that's, there needs to be daylight between them for it to be offside. Like, for example, where on Trossard's disallowed goal, his toe was offside. That's not enough offside for it to be offside. In the Wenger rule, you literally have to have your entire full body and daylight in front of the last defender. And I'm on board with that now because to watch this goal here disallowed when his toe was offside, he scores with his head, he's sort of in line with Jesus when Jesus has the initial effort. Oh, just I want the Wenger rule. You want the you want the Wenger bus to come, do you? Does that not sound like a more like you know utopia football landscape with the Wenger rule, where you know an offside is literally the same for every single thing? It's not a toenail, it's not a fingernail, it's daylight between one body and another. <laughs> we say that we say that, but as as Northern English men who love a moan, uh, we'll, we'll still find ways to <laughs> complain about it, but. It, it does need to be more of a binary because uh, I've said this like with the with the goal line technology, even though it's it's literally cost Liverpool leagues. It's either over the line or it's not. It's all of it has to be over the line, otherwise it's not a goal. And I, I'm fine with that because if you've got a yes no situation, you can't argue against it. But when you're saying this, it's like oh, it's his arm was offside, but he wasn't showing intent with that half of his body, so therefore he's onside because there's. It's, Take the conversation out of it and just have a yes/no decision. That's what the Wenger rule is, Jack. Jack. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But I, I know for a fact that it, you know the grass is always greener, and if it gets implemented, we'll still find ways where we're just like, this isn't working. We need to go back to how it was. I just but, think it, it takes all the sort of dis- the debate out of it, all the dispute. If it, it's just you're offside or you're not, it's just you ha- your whole body has to be offside. You, 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 no, I'm trying to think of a children's nursery rhyme now, and I've, I've just butchered that completely. You're all in, you're all out, you're shaking, you know, ah, whatever. The hokey cokey. The hokey cokey. Yeah, the hokey cokey. And if that did come back, I mean, it's not surprising considering that Wenger was a, a big fan of the offside trap when he was Arsenal manager as well. So 
he's probably just thinking that he's like remember those glory days when you could do that properly oh we need to bring that back yeah up the Wenger rule anyway in my opinion but Aaron <laughs> Ramsdale I guess we've got to talk about him there was that bit in the first half where he got uh, there was doing a goal kick routine a fancy one with short mm. passes with the centre halves and he just forgets to kick the ball Rice luckily was on the line to block the attempt from Embuemo to save his blushes the old cliche book once again but I feel really sorry for Ramsdale I really do it- was it was it revealed how come he was back in the side after being kind of cast out? Because Ray is on loan, isn't he? Has he gone out on loan? I've uh, when no, he's he signed for Arsenal on um, loan, a yes, loan, a loan with an obligation to buy. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, that was just me being thick there for a second. <laughs> again, coming up to speed. Leave me alone. Um, understandably looking shaky though. If if you know he's he's got this riding on it, he's trying to win back his spot. At the end of the day, like you said. Not the best game. Declan Rice definitely spared him some blushes, but he comes away with a clean sheath away from home. Yeah, he did make a couple of decent saves, but it wasn't wasn't the busiest day. But when he was called upon, that big moment especially, he did look shaky, but I fully understand it. He did, he got dropped for nothing. Hmm. Reyes, made but, more, Reyes made more mistakes this season than Ramsdale and kept his place. It's, it's bollocks. Do you think he's going he's gonna to walk straight back into the starting eleven as well? I think. Oh yeah, David Ray will. I think Rams they'll leave in January just with the Euros. Even though he's got no chance of getting T Rex out the team, he's uh, he's going to leave. I reckon and just try and get try and get in there. I don't know. I don't know where he'd go. Well, I saw Wolves yeah. were apparently linked with him, which I think is maybe. A, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it feels like a bit too much of a step down. Even though it's it's mid table Premier League, it's fine. <laughs> It's one of those, isn't it? Because, yeah, I was just trying to go through everyone in my head and wasn't sure. But when you go in down the pecking order, I think Wolves is the next logical step. Yeah, why not? At least you get minutes, money. At least you get minutes and prove what a great guy is who concentrates for all 90 minutes. I still can't believe he said that. Anyway, <laughs> next up, we've got Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. Newcastle hadn't lost a 3 p.m. kickoff since Eddie Howe took over. Willock was the latest injury, meaning that Newcastle had 12 unavailable I was expecting nothing from the game and then it Lewis Miley remember the name he's 17 years old he broke into the first team away at Chelsea in the last game of last season he's missed a large part of this season due to glandular fever because apparently that's a thing 17 year olds who play for Newcastle get now Uh, but he was very Michael Carrick like on the day on a day where he's playing against uh, Enzo Fernandez who cost a pretty penny he absolutely schooled him and that's not me being biased you ask anyone who saw that game he absolutely schooled him Uh, and his calmness it just that was him personified setting up Isaac for the first goal who lifted up up and passed the advancing Sanchez. It was a beautiful ball. Um, like you said, the, the composure on the lad took out two or three maybe with that ball. The, the fish, it was almost like a close quarters Andrea Perlo. Let's say it that way. Yeah, let's um, go for it. Let's go. He's better than Perlo. Words of Ross Tweddle, <laughs> not Jack Akin. Um, he, he, the fact that he played the full match last night as well. I know obviously it's... Again, another old cliche of football. You've got to take your opportunities. If he's gotten through into this first eleven because other players are injured, then fair play to him. He sees the opportunity. Uh, I hope that Eddie Howe manages manages him well. Because obviously, if you've got an injury crisis, the temptation's there to just play him until his legs fall off. They can, oh, he's 17. He's got over glandular fever. He's hard. He can, he can have two minutes sleep a night and be fine. But if... I but what about when he's 23? Happening. That's when it'll bite us on the arse when he's 23 and he's absolutely <laughs> knackered. Like, ne- Neymar's the big example, isn't it? Playing that much football yeah. when you're that young. Mike alone as well, I guess, will throw it in there, even mm-hmm. though he's a arse. 
even he last night was saying Newcastle were hard done by. Newcastle fans agree with Michael Owen for the first time ever. I mean, you know, the, the sky has fallen. Dags, <laughs> dags, like a mint snatch. I was going to say dogs and cats living together in harmony, but um... I've just realised. Do you reckon that's why Pep has never like fully committed to Foden just to save his legs? Potentially, yeah. He's managed his career very well so far. Bald bastard. Well, that's coming from me. <laughs> One of three bald men in the world, Pep Guardiola and Casey Kemp. <laughs> but I, maybe that's what he's been doing. He's, he's looked at the likes of Michael Owen and Neymar and thought, hey, this lad's special. Let's not ruin his career when he gets past 27. I can't believe we've not considered that until now when talking about Miley for Newcastle. <laughs> Oh, hey, but hey, anyhow, hasn't got much of a choice at the moment. But back to that game on Saturday. Hell of a free kick from Raheem Sterling makes it 1-1. Nick Pope didn't move, and deservedly so. Knuckleball, dip dipper. It, oh, yeah. it's like being a Blackpool. It was it was like a, a flyaway or penny floaters, as other people call them. Just the way it arced. In the, oh, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Do you call it a flyaway? I call it a flyaway. Oh, it's yeah. a penny floater up here, like. Yeah. Oh, let, mm-hmm. let us know in the comments what you call a corner shop, very plastic, very light football. A, a, su- a super telly was the, was the <laughs> choice around there. The ones that arrive in a, a fishing net for some reason and they're hung up on a door. <laughs> and when you absolutely smack it, it just starts juttering in the air like a jabalani. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joe Litton back to the game he should not be allowed to head the ball at the far post ever again he missed a sitter away at Borussia Dortmund then he missed an even worse one here this came at a time when Chelsea were on top Enzo Fernandez brings out a nice save from Pope at his near mm. post where he sort of go near the way and has to dart back to save at his near post and then I, I just don't understand it Newcastle just blew Chelsea away in the second half Lascelles put Newcastle ahead with none challenge header after nice work we had a free kick sort of wide on the right a bit like sort of towards the halfway line worked it across the pitch ball in from Gordon, I think it was, and he gets a free header. Don't understand it. Was, it. <laughs> it was training ground stuff. Um, and this was not too long after Trippier had absolutely twatted the bar as well. Yeah. All all over them. Um, I, I want to give, I know we'll talk about him more in a minute, but Anthony Gordon is really growing in this Newcastle side. It seems to be over weeks that I'm saying that I'm, I'm shocked at how much he's kicking on because I thought that Everton had pulled your pants down when you signed him, but he's He's starting to look like the real deal. As, as I said earlier in the podcast, history. I don't know what I've said that like that for, but there we go. Uh, last season, clearly not fit, clearly not up to what yeah. Eddie Howe wants from his team. This season, I t- the, the amount of running he does every single game. Last night against Paris, he was absolutely cream-cracked when it came to like the 70th minute. Can you just see it? And you can't blame him. The big fear there is, obviously, he's having to play as many minutes as he is because we haven't got anybody else. Is a big injury coming around the corner just because the the sheer miles and effort that he puts in every single game. That's the big worry because he does he he, he doesn't stop. He's amazing. I can't mm. believe I'm saying this after what we saw last season from the guy. Because remember when he went off at Brentford when he wasn't having a good season and Eddie Howe took him off and he chucked down his top and he looked a bit petulant and we're like, oh god, we've signed a whopper here. Normally we don't do that under this new regime at Newcastle. Normally they're just solid lads. But this guy looks like a whopper, but no, a pre-season later. And he is, he's, he's been our best player this season. Like. Yeah, he's been fantastic. Um, like I said, as we'll come on into a minute, if you want to continue your wonderful play-by-play. Go on then. Then just a minute after that goal from Lascelles, Joe Linton robs Thiago Silva to twat it in from about eight yards. I like to think that he went, ah, and then kicked it as hard as he could. Eight yards from goal. It was a fantastic finish. Let's focus on that again. Joe Linton mugged Tiago Silva 
<laughs> Again, would have said that two years. You'd be like, ah, come on, don't talk absolute nonsense. But he, he had his pants down, didn't he? Big time. It wasn't the first. Thiago Silva didn't have the best game. There was a bit in the first half where, where Gordon was closing him down. I don't know if this made the match of the day highlights, but it was a highlight being there in the stadium. And he sort of like, Gordon's closed him down towards the corner flag and Thiago Silva's just trying to like knock it out his feet and then maybe play it down the line. But he saw, I don't know what he did. He played it off one leg to the other. He falls on his ass, and then Gordon goes, <laughs> just laps at him, pointing the finger. Did you get... Did you get to punks before the game? No, I didn't. It was a bit early. Oh. Yeah, I didn't fancy a pizza. Didn't have any pre-match meal this time, just a liquid lunch. <laughs> <laughs> a hot cup of Bovril. Lovely. A, a couple of G&Ts. Um, but yeah, Thiago Silva didn't have the best game. But yeah, Joe Linton, again, he's, he's gone and played away for Brazil. But apparently the goalkeepers are the one who's tired. <laughs> well, that's what our own players said. I'm, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> That's what they said. Are you calling Joe Litton a drugs cheat? The cocaine's making him get through these games like he is? Uh, they're the words, again, of Ross Tweddle <laughs> and not Jack Atkins. <laughs> Aye, but it is, it is amazing to see what him and Bruno do when they've travelled so far. Because we've got Miggy Elmer on as well, and I think mm-hmm. you can tell more with Miggy when he's been away to when he hasn't been away. But whereas with Bruno and Joe Linton, Maybe that's an unfair statement. It probably is. I'm going to move on. Reese James then got sent off for a second yellow card, which was funny because Tito Livramento, who again had a very decent game on Saturday before his unbelievable game against PSG last night, he was forced to leave Chelsea and everyone seems to accept the fact it was merely because they had a choice of Reese James or Tito and they picked Reese James and so Tito had to go to Southampton and now he's come back and he looks... It's a harsh thing to say because Reese James's injury record is heartbreaking. He gets yeah. going, he, he's an unbelievable player, and he just gets an injury that sets him back. But Tino is looking a bit better currently as we're sat here on the 29th of November. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, oh, oh. Is, it, is it too early to say that like Reese James would be like the 2020s Ledley King? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I mean, how old is Reese James? Let me quickly Google that. Fill, this, fill the airtime with some words, Jackins. So uh, for those who don't remember Tottenham legend Ledley King, his injury record was that bad that it got to the point where he he couldn't train, I'm sure, towards the end of his career because they were that afraid of him getting injured. But he was so good that they couldn't risk not playing him. Yeah. But how, how, how old is Reese James? He's 24 on the 8th of December. So I he's, thought he was older than that. Yeah, oh. he's only 23 as we're sat here now. So it is... Again, it, management of the career. I don't know if it is just maybe he is injury prone. I don't know what's good. Let's have a look at his game season by season. Up mm. the Wikipedia. So, right, 1920 season, 24 Premier League. Oh, no, we'll go all all appearances, eh? mm. all competitions. So, 37, 47, 39, 24, 7 this season so far. So, it's not mm. as bad as I thought it was because it always feels like he gets going. Then there's a big injury, but then again... 37, 47, 39 over the three seasons between 2019 and 2022. But again, the only thing there is as well, it doesn't say how many of those were full 90s. Mm. Mm. You've been down this road before. Very good point. Well made. Uh, but yeah, he gets, <laughs> he gets sent off for a second yellow card, which was deservedly so. It was, two, it was just two yellow cards. Um, mm. And then, yeah, we just we, we, we blew him away a little bit more because Gordon going down the left, doing what St. Maximan would never do, just cutting inside and shooting. <laughs> Yeah, it's because it's, I I watched this uh, I watched this on the highlights, um, and when I saw the scoreline, everyone was talking about Reese James. I thought, oh, in my head, I was like, what's happened here? Is it was probably a KG one one. Reese James has got sent off, and then 
uh, Newcastle have spaffed them. But in fact, it was quite the opposite. Yeah, it was 3-1 by the time Reese James got sent off. And yeah, that was a bit unfair of me to say that about Maximan. He did cut inside <laughs> a couple of times and score a couple of goals. But Gordon does it a bit more frequently. Well, to be fair, Gordon, he's, he's like Keith Gillespie, but on the left, he always jinks out wide and then gets a ball in from the byline. It's a throwback. It's lovely. <laughs> so we've got Reese James as the new Ledley King and Andy Gordon's the new Keith Gillespie. But on the left and without but the on issues. The left, of course. And without the issues um, off the pitch. <laughs> what what was the atmosphere like then inside St. James? Because obviously oh. you've been a bit up and down recently because obviously the fortunes of the injury record and what's happened to Tanali, but was everyone just kind of like, oh, let's see how we get on, or was everyone up for it? No, it's, it's, it's really bad. It's not really bad, but it's noticeably worse compared to last season. It's just down to the, mm. the membership ballot thing they've got going on, I think. Obviously, there's a thing to be said about season ticket holders making noise because they are there every week, and it doesn't seem to get any better or any worse. Uh, there's 34,000 season tickets inside St. James's Park, I think. So they've got something to answer for. But it just the difference between last season and this, it is noticeable. It's so noticeable that Murdad, uh, Amanda Stavely's husband and one of the, the co-owners of the club, or co... Um, I'm thinking of the pie chart shareholders. Is that the right way yeah. to put it? Yeah. Uh, he yeah. went on, He went on Twitter and was like, yeah, it needs to be louder inside the stadium. To which some fans went, oh, you can't say that, man. That's that's bang out of order. And then you go on their Twitter account and every single weekend it's like, hey, the atmosphere in St. James's Park isn't what it used to be that season. Like. So he was well in with his rights to say what he said. But again, I think the club's, that they are responsible for the atmosphere being the way it is because, as I was saying last night in the live stream, we had to work last season to get a, to get a ticket to the game being a member. You had to log on at 7am, leave the window open, so when at 10am when the thing went live, the the, 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 the ballot thing, not the ballot, the, um, the, 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 the shot would open online. You were there with a prime position in the queue to get yourself a ticket, and then when you got there, you felt like you worked for it and you made the most of the day. Now, the membership ballot's open for three or four days. I, I forget how long it is open for. So you could just be on your email Emails one day and go, oh, oh, that ballot's open for another twenty minutes. I'll just stick me. Stick, you, know, you never know. I might get a ticket, and then you just you get it. Just it's. I guess it's what you get when you become a bit more successful. This this yeah. corporate bollocks getting in the way of the real nuts and bolts. But when it, in terms of like building up the atmosphere and getting to the next level, what do you think you're going to do? Are you going to do a plastic flags kind of Chelsea City thing? Are you going to do those big? tubey things that Leicester had what's the what's the solution I think the solution quite simply is singing sections where you are obliged to sing put one right next to the away fans where we used to get our tickets last season it was always loud in there anyway but I think a a dignified a a designated sorry not a dignified it's anything but dignified a designated singing section that would make a big difference because we do have one sort of strawberry corner I think is the the unofficial designated singing section but we need some more it's just I wish they would get rid of the memberships I know why they're doing it because they cost £37 for one season apparently they've sold over 100,000 of them so every single membership ballot, there's 100,000 people potentially in the running for a ticket. But having people who really want to be in the stadium, in the stadium makes a hell of a difference. And we've learned that this season. So I just, even though it makes no sense commercially for the club, just get rid of that 100,000 times 37 pounds that you made in the summer. But you're forgetting that it's, it's not for fans anymore, Ross. It's for customers. Yeah, day trippers and then more and more accomplice in James's Park. Anyway, good win, so it was. Unexpected. Also unexpected was Luton Town 2, Crystal Palace 1, was it? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, um, 
it's been a weird season, I think, for Palace so far. Because I don't know if I'm just still stuck in that loop of when they had, you know, it, um, when they had Zaha leading the front line for it seemed like 25 years that you're just like, oh, Palace, Palace are quite tasty. I think they'll really kick on this season, and then they kind of flatter to deceive. I'm getting that again from them. I'm getting just kind of shades of just like I don't know. They're too good to really go into free fall, but they're not good enough to break into the top. They are just that middle team now, aren't they? Yeah, it's. it's, it's I don't want to say it's Elton, but when he took charge last season, he seemed to be seventy four and carefree. That the attacking football was off the scale. I remember watching the game they played away at Leeds towards the end of last season, just after he took mm-hmm. over, and the football was like watching. 2011 Barcelona. It was unbelievable. And then this season, he seems to have gone back to old Hudson. We need to be very, very disciplined. <laughs> I feel terrible for doing that. But there we go. We need to be very disciplined, have a good shape, and all that sort of stuff. But it's really stifling the attacking end of the pitch that he was he was milking last season. He was milking it. It was spunking everywhere, Jack Atkins. <laughs> oh, great. Now I've got a mental image that I really, you know, could have got my whole life about, but. Anyway, Edward with the correctly ruled out goal for handball following Kaminsky's save, it sort of rebounded off the keeper and he went, Whoa! in one it was motion. A beautiful, a beautiful handball. It, it was, was like a crest of a wave as he just swept it into his own path. And it wasn't obvious either, so they did give it the right decision at the end of the day, but if it got away with it, fair play. Um, it was a smart finish um, for a centre-back from Mengi that put Luton 1-0 up. He was not good enough on my EAFC 2-4 career mode. He's been shipped out and replaced by Christopher Ayer from uh, from Brentford, who is the wall. He's unbelievable. We've got Hato in, who I think <laughs> plays for PSV in real life. I can't quite remember, but I signed him from Tottenham Reserves. What a guy. Uh, but yeah, he puts. Well, it's a smart finish, a nice little toe poke kind of thing in the bottom corner. Yeah, because it, it, it looked, at first glance, it looked scruffy because there was a bit of a, a, a goal mouth scramble. But like you said, was this his, his, was it his first professional career goal or just his first goal for the team? First professional career goal. Like you said, fantastic finish. But like, yeah, on, on first glance, I was like, oh, that's a bit scruffy there. He's, he's kind of bundled it in. And then on close inspection, it's like, oh, no, actually, fair play to the lad. And then in a pre-Garnacho world, we had what was a goal of the season contender from Michael Elise. He picks the ball up on the right, sort of just inside the Luton half, I think it was. A little swazzy turn. He's down the right wing. He cuts inside, and it's a massive bender into the far corner. I was trying to do that like Jeff Stella, but it didn't work. I used to love that with Jeff Stella when he was just like, oh, Jack Atkins with a hell of a strike. He would put on his voice like that. <laughs> They'll be dancing on the streets of Total Network Solutions tonight. <laughs> it's the good doctor, Kenny Juker, with the goal for Gretna. <laughs> Those were the days, the good doctor, Kenny Duker. Um Wonder what he's up to these days. Anyway, it was a hell of a goal. It's a shame because the way Match of the Day do their goal of the season uh, competition at the end, they just they take the best goal from every month and he's not winning Novembers. We all know who will win Novembers. <laughs> yeah, he's not even won goal of the weekend, has he? It is going to get be one of those that is completely forgotten about. But again, for the old cliche, a beautiful solo goal. He just had everyone on the arse and... Yeah, I feel really bad. Even though he scored an absolute perler, I somehow feel bad for this very rich athlete. <laughs> well, he's battled his injuries this season, hasn't he? So he's come back and yeah. done that. I think there was the move to Chelsea in the summer that didn't materialise because Steve Parrish was like, no, in the mm. words of Jeff Stelling, you're staying here. 
<laughs> but yeah, then Jacob Brown, who was Mr. FA Cup for my hat's career mode, he was unreal in the FA Cup. The journey to the final in the 2023-24 campaign. Jacob Brown scored lots of goals for me. And he gets there to poke home the winner after some open the cliche book pedestrian defending from Anderson and in, in that corridor of uncertainty, which is called that because when a ball's put in there like that, it makes people uncertain of what they're doing. And that's exactly what happened there. The corridor of uncertainty sounds like a uh, like a Phil Collins B side. I'm quite into that, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, he should have. Uh, Anderson should have done so much better for it. But like you said, if that uncertainty is in the back of his mind, then you've got to got to take your hats off to Brown for actually exploiting the space, exploiting the move, and making the correct decision. Yeah, and then we had Jefferson Lerma hitting the Denver bar towards the end of the game, but Luton get their second win of the season, their first ever Premier League home win. Of course, they were relegated the season before football began in 1992. Anything before that wasn't even football. It was called ball foot, and balls just kicked human feet around the pitch. It was a completely different game. Yeah, you had Alan Ball, you had Bobby Ball, you had Zoe Ball, you had... Uh, the like balls uh, and they just kicked feet around yeah that's, that's how I remember it exactly what happened before 1992 Sky Sports changed everything with the Premier League uh, after the weekend they're now four points clear of the bottom three which looks nice and rosy for them even though I'd still be confident if I was the Ev that you could catch them oh yeah definitely but like you said it's all about momentum that I think it's going to be a little while before we see Everton either regain those 10 points, not in terms of like Everton playing bad. I just think that it's such a weight on the shoulders, isn't it? And like you said, they played well against United, but still got, you know, three put past them. Who's to say? Who's to say? We might as well touch on the big VAR bollocks from Monday Night Football because, as I say, every single game apart from the heavyweight clash of the weekend had a massive headline to it. Uh, Wolves have been F-U-C-K-E-D again. Uh, A few weeks ago, we had that call at Luton that I spoke about earlier with the the deflection onto the hand. Then we had the Man United game at the start of the season, uh, the Newcastle penalty decision as well. And now... Apparently, this one where it was Kearney getting fouled by Semedo, Gary O'Neill revealed after the game, the referee for the game watched it back with him and admitted he should have been sent to the VAR screen to have a look at it. And that'll make everything better for Gary O'Neill. Don't worry, though, because he'll have gotten, you know, yet another apology phone call from Howard Webb and that will make it all better. Um, Terrible. This Absolutely is what, terrible shout. This is what I mean, though. That for calls like this, the subject I can—I'm sure Gary Neal could live with one human getting it wrong, but three mm. have got it wrong here. At least three, maybe four. Um, so you can't live with that. It's just—it needs to be changed for fouls. I can fully accept it being there for offsides. Goal line technology, absolutely fine. But this is another example, like the Man United one at the start of the season, like the Newcastle penalty they didn't get as well. It's all subjective, and all VAR does is muddy the waters because one man's subjectivity is putting against another man's and the strongest wins I don't know and let's not forget about the uh, the soft headbutt as well oh god I <laughs> to be fair if Kilman do you reckon it was the sell from Kilman that, that, that it was he, he kind of <laughs> took it and then just went oh he's headbutted me there <laughs> Fair play, more players should be like that. But yeah, it's mm. it's it's a shame how much has happened at the Wolves because he was saying like it's cost us you know six or eight points this season, something like that, which is the difference in his reputation. Uh, Wolves going up the league, you know who knows? And you know towards the end of the season, if they do have a bad run of form, that's there just on merit rather than you know them getting shafted by the referees. That'll cost him his job, and he'll look back at this period of time thinking, oh, 
what about the six to eight points that would have had more like better off? This this is one of those things where you hope that um chairman and people on boards of football teams kind of like look at the facts because I, I do think that especially with teams in the lower half of the table, uh boards can get sack happy. And like you're saying, if if Wolves do go into a bad run of form, you'd hope they'd look at it and be like, hang on, hang on. No, we've actually been we've been buggered here by the by the league a few times because of terrible decisions. But yeah, it's it was just poor officiating again. I'm sick of talking about it. I can't believe they went and had a look with the with the um with Gary O'Neill. It's just it's unbelievable. I don't get what what purpose does that serve after the game for the referee to go and watch and go, oh God, we've made a right mess of it there. <laughs> yeah, there's a curly whirly. Sorry about that. It's yeah, he's. I wonder who initiated that. That's what I want to know. Surely it's got to be Gary O'Neill. Mm. Yeah, do you reckon he was wait, waiting for them with just like a little bit of wood in his hand, smacking it against his fist, just like, <laughs> let's go have a look at that then, soft bollocks. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to picture Cockney s- smooth man Gary O'Neill with his little comb over, <laughs> acting like that, and I can't do it. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've just got a message. I'm trying to sell something on Facebook Marketplace and the lady can't come and collect it. Uh, let me know when best suits for you. Sorry, I'm just doing some admin live on the podcast, but, you know, she's meant to be here at like half 11, so I was going to just, uh, yeah, there we go. Anyway, other <laughs> football headlines from this week. Um, Terry Venables, got to touch on that. He passes away at the age of 80 uh, through a, after a long illness, I should say. Uh, he's just, he's one of... Uh, I don't know who who else to group him with, but he's just one of those football men from your youth where he was football. El Tell. Um, he yeah. was for his playing career. I didn't realize how good of a player he was. Two England caps as a player, but he had a distinguished career with the likes of QPR, Chelsea, and Tottenham. Then his managerial career uh, kicked off with the likes of Crystal Palace and QPR. And it's well worth a listen. The rest is football. The the Micah Richards, Gary Lineker, and Alan Shearer podcast. Um, they did like a little half hour. A tribute episode to Terry Venables because obviously Gary Lineker played under him at Barcelona and at Tottenham and Alan Shearer for England and just the stories they had about the guy and just how much they put over how innovative he was back in the day back in the 80s where his just he would do things like Gary Lineker was telling the story I think it was when he was Barcelona manager and apparently just would train him one day and he goes oh what do you reckon would happen if we just left three defenders in a in the box for a corner where defending and we pushed everybody else up and then Gary Lineker was like, well, surely that would be just suicide. They'd just have more players in the box. But he was like, what would they do? What would the other team do? Would they push everybody back or would they keep everybody forward? And Gary Lineker was like, yeah, that's a good point. No one's ever thought that before, have they? <laughs> he was, yeah, it's 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 always a surprising one because my, my first memories, pretty much my only memories of my, you know, football life were of uh, Venables at Euro 96 and then obviously he went to the Socceroos afterwards didn't he, he took a took charge of Australia because there was a famous Oasis drink advert do you remember that or are you too young uh, it rings a bell who was it involved again it was it's Terry Venables and he's in Australia watching lads not being able to play football and he has a Oasis and in his mind he's back in Wembley um, yeah, but uh, there's a really good documentary a couple of years ago that BT Sport put out called Team of the 80s, and it was about um, Terry Venables transforming Crystal Palace. Uh, really, really good uh, if you can seek it out. It, it'll probably be on the BT Sport website somewhere or TNT Sport or whatever you want to call it now, but uh, Team of the 80s, very good. 
Yeah, and team team of the nineties for the England perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Euro ninety six got to talk about there. It was the style he brought the England team after the Graham Taylor. Yes, which is it's. <laughs> I don't know how how do we compare that to a modern day managerial switch. It is literally like Steve Bruce to Eddie Howe, but with a bit yeah. more, a bit less pragmatism from Eddie Howe's, from Terry Venable's side. It's just, it was beautiful, sexy football. Even aside from the football, you just got, you know, just kind of like schlubby Graham Taylor in a polo shirt and a pair of tracky pants. And then you got Terry Venables turn up in a lovely grey suit. And you're like, hey, ooh, he's the business. Him. I'd buy a used car from Terry Venables. Never mind this sexy football. <laughs> Do I not like that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, just the Christmas tree formation. Everybody just, mm-hmm. he got the best out of Gaza. Um, it was an unbelievable summer where obviously England get to the semi finals. And then Gareth gets himself a Pizza Hut advert out of the semi final penalty. He missed. Uh, congratulations to him for that. Still, all these years later. But yeah, it was it was a shame that you had to go after Euro '96. I can't quite remember what the circumstances were that made Glenn Hoddle take over. But it just it felt like he was ahead of his time, Terry Venables. And he, as I say, like he was just one of those. I can just picture him and Des Lydon for some reason, and maybe Bobby Robson's there as well. Peter Reed maybe there, just having a Peter beer. Reed. Yeah. <laughs> Martin O'Neill turns up for one and then decides he's got a better place to be in the saxophone. <laughs> I don't like Martin O'Neill. Uh, rest in peace, Terry Venables, though. Big L tell. Rest in peace, Terry Venables, of course. L tell. Uh, one, of the, one of the legends of the game. Right, we'll go over to some bollocks from IFAB, the International Football Association Board, who have approved plans to trial the use of sim bins at the elite level of the soccer. Uh, the use of sim bins where a player will temporarily leave the pitch for a set amount of time is able to return to action, is later able, oh, then is later able to return to action. Of course, that's how sim bins. Ross, work you tit. Ross, work you tit. I've gone mad, Jackins. I can't talk anymore. It is proven to be effective at grassroots and Youth levels, apparently. I don't know where that's been used before. I've never seen that used before ever, have you? Save me. No, not, not in football, though. No. But just the fact that you said you can't talk anymore. I was just thinking of Cliff Richard again. Um, <laughs> but in a, in, a, in a meeting on Tuesday, yeah. IFAB threw their support behind the recommendations to trial the same bin punishments at the sport's highest level for dissent, as well as cynical and tactical fouls. And the, the big example people have been jumping on after this was announced was the Cellini on Saka pulling his shirt around his neck thing uh, from the Euros final a couple of years ago. Um, Such offences currently deemed worthy of a proverbial and theoretical orange card, a transgression which deserves disciplinary action between the standard yellow card and red card. This is going to be fantastic. The subjectivity of the referee on the pitch and then the assistant VAR and then the VAR himself. It's going to be a right mess. IFAB will now begin drawing up regulations to fit the introduction of sim bins and they could be implemented at Premier League level by the start of 20. 2024, 2025. I don't want this at all. I don't want this either. Um, it it works in other sports, but you know, other sports have different rules. That's the the the, the cut and thrust of it, really. But like you were saying, the fact that they've said here for cynical and tactical fouls, but there's the there's not a binary there, as we were saying before with the VAR thing. It's like what what becomes cynical, um, and obviously the pessimist in me thinks some teams will use this to their advantage maybe once they find out what the level is we might get more not simulation but some more of the dark arts getting people sin binned for like a quick five minute advantage or something like that i don't think it's gonna work it just feels like something we don't need i i 
I like the idea of, I don't know what the right word to use is, a heavenly bin for concussion protocol. <laughs> Mm. where a player is taken off for 10 minutes to go through proper concussion testing. I think that's the only bit where a sin, like a, you know, a sin bin type scenario works in football, but this just seems like it's going to cause more VAR discussion that we need, and we've already got too much of that, so I'm fully against this idea. I hope it doesn't happen, but it, it looks like it's going to be in the Premier League next season, which I can't wait for. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I mean... My beard's going very grey already, but I think if the Simbin idea comes in and VAR isn't properly changed, then I'm going to look like a bald father Christmas before you know it. Yeah, you need to grow yeah. the, the the old skullet in to be to get the full Santa Claus look going. You you you've got a bit of uh, a bit of shadow on top of your head there, by the way. Yeah, I, I've I've still got like a hairline. That jump before was pushed because it was starting <laughs> to go, and I could see that Shearer's Island was creeping in. So I thought I want to. I don't want to be one of these people who are just like really bushy at the side of three on the top. Being like, no, it's still fine. Just let me glue it down. I was like, can't be arsed. Shave it off. That's that's Cole Palmer in a couple of years' time. He's getting that way. That's the thing I noticed mm. the weekend there. It's just looking from the start of the pitch, you can see how hard he's had to comb that forward because it's all receding. Just get rid, Cole. You'll be liberated. I believe in you. Uh, the Football Association. It's been a quiet <laughs> week for news, believe it or not. The Football Association have confirmed they will investigate Tottenham Hotspur's sale of Jermaine Defoe to Portsmouth in 2008. We just missed... Well, we didn't miss it last week. We had a pre-record episode last week, but it came out on Thursday, so we would have just missed it if we had a normal Holden Gear football podcast. Uh, Defoe enjoyed four years at Tottenham before leaving for Portsmouth for seven and a half million in January 2008, earning himself a switch back to White Hart Lane 12 months later after bagging 16 goals in 31 Premier League games. Now, after a big expose piece by The Times and Matt Lawton, I believe it is, an unclaimed age, an unlicensed agent by the name of Mitchell Thomas was used to help with negotiations, while Spurs chairman Daniel Levy also failed to agree the representation contract with another agent who received £1 million for his involvement in the sale, which are both breaches of FA rules. A panel investigating potential issues with the transfer concluded that in January 2010 that Thomas helped Defoe to uh, secure the terms of his Portsmouth contract despite Defoe's claims that he negotiated the contract himself, but the FA declined to pursue disciplinary action against Spurs when presented with the evidence at the time. I saw a little bit with Sky Andrews, I believe his name is, the football agent on TalkSport, who I think was Defoe's actual agent at the time, and he was like, yes, this guy should not have been involved in the deal, but he was involved in the deal. And I think they also said when Harry Redknapp was asked about it, <laughs> don't call me a dodgy dealer. Um, he was just like, I can't remember. <laughs> he vengered it. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it seems convenient that this has come out now. Yes. is the main thing that's hit me. Um I'm not saying that this shouldn't be investigated. I'm not saying that if there are serious wrongdoings that appropriate penalties shouldn't be doled out. But the fact that we're having this debate about the outstanding um, charges against City and Chelsea is like, oh, hang on, let's let's dredge this up from what? 2008, was it 15, 15 years ago? 15 years ago. And it makes you wonder how many deals of this ilk were taking place back then and how far this could go. Could there be a case for the Premier League to cease to exist in a couple of mm. years' time if every single dodgy dealing from a Premier League club was exposed? As I say, I know this isn't from the Premier League itself. It's a Times exclusive. Yeah. But there's a time and a place, isn't there? I don't know why. It's, obviously, you don't want to think the media and the Premier League are working hand in hand. But this doesn't half make you feel like the Premier League and the media are working hand in hand. 
Two quid says that within the next two weeks, uh, someone's going to write an expose piece on um, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano's transfer to West Ham. And it's we're, we're going to get distracted once again. Yes, we are. But yeah, as you say there, we need to get tra- uh, so, uh, sorry, City and Chelsea dealt with before any more bollocks like this is going to muddy the waters. Yes, they might have broken rules. Yes, they should be punished if they have done... Um, <laughs> it's just it's, it is weird how in 2010 everyone knew about this but the FA did nothing yeah it's, it's always like the FA are a bit slack yeah tosses <laughs> yeah let's get City and Chelsea sorted before we move on to anything else but we move on from that bollocks to the highlight of the week on the Holding Gear Football Podcast I'm just going to go for the obvious one straight away it's Garnacho's goal of the decade what else do we need to say? We spoke about earlier on in case you skipped that section of the podcast. Go back and listen to that bit, why don't you? Where two great football minds speaking about a great football goal, some classic Barclays action. Yeah. Um, sometimes, though, even though it's the obvious choice, it's it, it has to be said. I was trying not to pick anything Liverpool related this week and my mind did flash to Garnacho because it was literally the second it left his booth, everyone just went, that's one of the best goals I've ever seen. And I hadn't even hit the back of the net yet, but yeah. uh, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. What's your highlight of the week? Um, right. Uh, f- forgive forgive me, my Welsh brethren. <laughs> uh, as a proud boy of North Wales, somewhere down the line, myself, uh, we, we do go to the seventh tier of Welsh football, and I'm going to try this. Great Rayland FC. <laughs> I would go uh, CWRT Roland FC. Yeah, well, it's, it's Welsh, isn't it? So it's probably good. Quaid's Quaid's Quaid Rowland. Quaid Rowland. Quaid Rowland FC. But they they playing carefully anyway. Um, Harry Short is the player. He scored what? As soon as I saw it, I went every year when you watch the Buscast and the nominees, and it's like. Top five league, top five league, top five league, international, women's league, top five league, like ninth tier Dutch league filmed on a phone, top five league. And this is one of those ninth tier Dutch ones, but seventh tier Welsh. Harry Short scored a pitch perfect 40 yard volley from just inside the halfway line against AFC Pendruchaiva. But But yeah, the the <laughs> we said before about the, the audacity on Garacho. Just this one, again watching the clip, it's the second he strikes it, yeah, someone just going, ooh. Flies <laughs> <laughs> fly through the air. When it ripples the back of the net, there's uh you know, the, again they'll be partying on the streets of Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just to set the set the scene for you, a defender for the opposite team. I'm not going to try yeah. and pronounce the name again. He sort of, I think he's received the, a short goal kick from the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper yeah. sort of wides the left hand side of his goal if he's looking out the goal. The defender sort of like at the at the, at the byline uh, on the left hand, yeah, back his left back sort of area. He's just hoofed the ball forward, but right into the middle of the pitch. And Harry Short has met it. It's the side winder. It's a picture-perfect volley. And he's put it in the far right side of the goal, which is where the keeper obviously isn't. It's not even hit the ground. It's nestled beautifully in the back of the net. It is one of the best goals I've ever seen. Shades of a young Mark Hughes in terms oh, of technique. Yeah. There's yeah. that volley. That volley he scored in training when he was Manchester City manager, where he does the side winder and it's picture-perfect. It is that. 
And yeah, maybe yeah. It, maybe Harry Short's a descendant of Mark Mark Hughes. Another proud Welshman. I don't know if Harry Short's a proud Welshman, but he's playing for a proud Welsh team from Caerphilly that I'm not going to try and pronounce again because I'm sorry to my to my nan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, nan. Sorry, sorry, nan. <laughs> and we move on from the highlight of the week to the excuse me, Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial. God, what's happening here? <laughs> the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial twat of the week. Do you want to go first this time? I will, and it's uh, it's Bernardo Silva Ross. Oh, here we go. No, it's it's, it's not really. It's, what do you like? Eh? I've, I've obviously this week. I I can predict what yours will be, so I've swerved it. There's not been too many twats outside of the referees, so I've gone for a light one, and it's. You must have seen Jill Scott's banter with Daniel Sturridge on League of the Road. <laughs> He's it's rattled. Even... Well, if you didn't, if you weren't just vibing, you might have won the league. <laughs> In the season where Daniel Sturridge scored twenty-one goals and assisted twenty, and he was, t- it was just, it was out of nowhere. And like I said, I'm just plucking. It's not that twash from Jill Scott. It's more she's. She's not been a twat. She's been made to look a twat because she said something out of con not even out of context. She's just kind of plucked something out to to, to fill dead air and it's kind of fallen flat. But it's especially as I'm going to try and make it serious. The fact that we're talking about the mental health of players and how they have to deal with big loss and all that, it's not that deep. Um no, it's not. But if you haven't seen it, <laughs> Daniel Sturridge was reminiscing about the um I want to say 2013-14 season, Liverpool came very close and then obviously capitulated towards the end. Steven Gerrard fell over and, you know, fans of small teams haven't stopped singing about it since. Um, and he was just saying he was just saying that he'll be vibing in his car. He'll hear a song that reminds him of the time. It takes him back and feels good. And he's like, yeah, and, and a, a vibe and thinking of those memories. And then Jill Scott, maybe if you hadn't been vibing, you'd have got it done, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then you obviously got Mika Richards and all them going, ah! And... Again, it's it's not that bad, but it's been it's been a thin week. I didn't want to talk about the refs, and that was the first thing that jumped to mind. Probably more twats of the week are the people who've gone. There's been some sexist vitriol about this on Twitter in X, because of course it's on Twitter in X because that's where the a hive of scum and villainy. But just everyone who's not called Darren Jill Sturridge just looks a bit of a knobhead in it, really. I think. I tell you what, I am shocked that former Manchester City player Jill Scott, who won the uh, WSL Cup in 2014, 2016, and 2019, uh, the WSL in 2016, and the FA Women's Cup in 2017, 2019, and 2020, would have a good Daniel Sturridge for not winning a trophy, even though he's won two Champions Leagues. <laughs> no, we're talking about this. Won- we're talking about the 13, 14 campaign where Liverpool pissed it away. But even then, it wasn't the fault of Daniel Sturridge. He was involved with 40 goals. It was a commentary on the entire team vibing at the time. Raheem Sterling was vibing. Suarez was biting. Yeah. And like I said, it's 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 not that deep. I was kind of scrabbling for something, but it was one where I sort of thought, it just, it just felt a bit mean. <laughs> it just felt a bit mean. Daniel Sturridge is a lovely fella, especially now he's doing punditry wearing some outlandish designer gloves. Fantastic. God, that Prada outfit at the weekend was someone else, wasn't it? The turtle, Sublime. Turtleneck, yeah. thin, like t shirty kind of material, but with Prada across his neck. And he had like a waistcoat on, didn't he? Of course, he did. Superb. Superb. Oh. He's, like a, he's like a young Gibral Cissé in his fashion choices. 
that what they should do is just a compilation of Roy Keane seeing Daniel Sturridge for the first time on a weekend, just to see Roy Keane's reaction. I'd love to see Roy Keane's reaction to that outfit. Did you see that uh, Roy Keane did a campaign for Adidas Special recently? And I was thinking, imagine trying to do a fashion shoot with Roy Keane. He's like, no, I'm just going to wear the stuff and walk me dogs. And you can take photos <laughs> if you like. It's in his natural habitat where he wanks his dogs. I love that. I really do. Man is <laughs> pictured yeah. walking his dog after World Cup disma- uh, d- d- dismissal back in 2002. Therefore, Newcastle fans take that as he wanks his dogs. <laughs> Roy Keane does wank dogs, allegedly. Um, but... Uh, yeah, like I said, it's not that deep with Jill Scott, but I didn't want to talk about referees. Now to you, Ross. Who's your twat of the week? Simon Marchniak, who is the referee who refereed the Champions League final last year, the World Cup final in 2022. He was the referee for PSG versus Newcastle last night as we're sat here recording. We did a big bet on this at the start of the podcast. I'm still not de-redded in the face after speaking about that. The fury has put Satan view me veins. Uh, so I'll leave it there and just tell you my twat of the week for bottling it at the crucial moment was Simon Marchniak. For the sake of trying to produce more content, I agree with you fully, but I just had to have another pick. That's how the segment works. Thank you. I've <laughs> caved because just just to peel the curtain back a bit, my original pick was Harry Short, so I went for Garnacho. His original pick <laughs> was Simon, so he's gone for Jill Scott. We make it work here on the Holding It Football podcast. But now it's time for everyone's favourite segment. Welcome to Brighton and Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estopinion. What are you talking about? It's the segment where you send us your hot take about the professional football and we either pick it apart or agree with it. Now, this week's submission comes from Little Pig Boy (laughs) on X. I didn't click on his account. I was scared to. He says, people who scoff at Brighton and Brentford's data-driven recruitment and point at the likes of Leicester and Southampton as examples of it failing conveniently or failing, conveniently omit or don't know these clubs failed because the systems they were using were changed. For instance, very few mentions are made of the fact that Brendan Rodgers disliked Leicester's approach and squeezed most of the data nerds out of the club to replace them with his own people. Obviously, Leicester went down. It bit him on the arse. Uh... I agree with this. I do think there is a place for data-driven recruitment. Liverpool have used it in bits over the last few years when we've actually been good in the um, in the in the transfer dealings. Whereas in other years, when you're just going on scouts and how they give you the feel, we've fallen on our ass again. We had Brendan Rodgers for a few years. He signed us Fabio Barini, who I know our good friend Jack King loves him when he gets that dagger in his mouth. But he scored he one goal. He scored one goal for God's sake. Pathetic. Exactly. So no, I I do think there is a there is definitely a case for good data driven recruitment. We tried to do it with the kind of money ball aspect that worked in baseball, but it's not quite worked to the same degrees that it has in football. But yeah, no, I'm, I I agree with I agree with the little pig boy. <laughs> I also agree with the little pig boy. I think. Brighton and Brentford and Leicester up until a point. I mean, they were relatively successful before Rodgers. I know Rodgers mm. initially took them to a different level. I say relatively successful. They won the Premier League, but I don't know if that was a data-driven Premier League win. It doesn't feel mm. like it would be under Nigel Pearson and then Claudio Ranieri, but it might have been, I don't know. But yeah, it, it is working. It's a different way to run a football club. Because obviously Brentford up until fairly recently didn't have a reserve team, but now they had the other B team, I think, because Romeo yeah. Beckham's in it, isn't he? Mm, yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking you say there about Leicester. I don't think the data would have said, "Oh, you should sign a 45 year old Esteban Cambiaso." But here we are. 
but it might have got it might have got Kante in. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because um, I mean, there was that tweet that went round at the time, wasn't there? Uh, someone going, "Hello, medals better. You should definitely sign this young lad calling Golo Kante. He's going to be one of the big boys in years to come." And Middlesbrough were like, they gave a flippant answer on Twitter because obviously, why would they take a, a Twitter person seriously? And then it was yeah, they were talking about Kante and look what happened. But yeah, I fully agree. It is. It's like any argument in football, isn't it? People always just twist the things to suit their narrative. Um, so using the likes of Southampton and Leicester against likes of Brighton and Brentford, of course they're going to do it when they don't agree with it. Yeah, it's and again, it, it's 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 not a, um, a kind of one way is right, one way is wrong. If you've got the personnel behind it and you fully commit to a system, you're bound to see results. If you go half-arsed in it, and like you said, if you're changing stuff, if you're getting people in who are t- bringing in their own teams and that, it's it's going to fall flat on its face. Anything in football needs time eventually, whether that's on the pitch or, like you're saying, behind the scenes. Here, here. Mm. Now, from the first time in it feels like several months, it's time for everybody's favourite segment. It's what happened to that Wunderkind. And this week, we're talking about... Clayberson. Clayberson. Son, son, son. Son, I don't know the next line. Clayberson. Yes. Son, son. It's, it's a bit different from other ones because usually in the Wunderkind segment, we look at someone who breaks through into a team at 17 and then gets that big money move and then everything falls off a cliff. For Clayberson, it kind of... He had an impressive well, World Cup, didn't he? And then he didn't... Yeah. He's the well, El well, Hadjou for his day. He's the El Hadjouf of the kind of defensive playmaker. <laughs> um, but Jose Cleberson Pereira, to give him his full name, um, and infamous for a spell at Man U. Um, but he was born June 79 in Brazil, joined Atletico Paranense in his youth, made his first team debut in 1999. 2001, he was a vital part of their midfield. Uh, they won the Brazilian league. A Brazil manager, Big Phil Scolari, saw him and thought, he's not bad him. When it came to the Korea Japan World Cup, he was the only member of the Paranense team who just won the league, called up to the squad. And he had substitute appearances, but then he was played as a kind of in a five man midfield. So it was him and Gilberto Silva, kind of like deep. Gilberto Silva, obviously, doing more of the defensive legwork, allowing Claberson to kind of press on a little bit, pick out some passes. Um, and w- during the tournament, he I think it was against England. Um, he had a decent display after coming on. And then after that, he was a starter, got an assist in the World Cup final, Brazil won the World Cup. And then obviously, as we've seen with many World Cups, they were like, right, Europe come knocking. Barcelona looked at him. Newcastle looked at him. Leeds United and Celtic. But Alex Ferguson's Man United signed him in the summer of 2023 for £6.5 million. 2003. Oh, God, I've written 2023 here. <laughs> I did these notes in bed. <laughs> but uh, £6.5 million in 2003, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but then that's that's a, an all right outlay for a, for a player. Um, Leeds were in pole position, but Claberson wasn't leaving until he could marry his girlfriend when she turned 16, which is the legal age of consent in Brazil. Different cultures, not talking about it. That's what happened. <laughs> So the thought was from United, they signed Claberson and thought, great, we'll slot him in because 
Juan Sebastian Veron didn't really pull up any trees at United. He was off to Chelsea and they thought, okay, he'll he'll become the deep lying playmaker for United, uh, similar to the role he had for Brazil. Cracking, let's get it going. Second game for United and he picks up an injury and would only make 16 appearances in all comps in 2003, 2004, but he did score twice against Blackburn, one against Blackburn, one against Everton. Um, and he did... Uh, he did manage to win the FA Cup and the Copa America with Brazil in this time. So not but not bad. But you know, after playing such a pivotal role in the in the World Cup, they thought, right, he needs to really kick on. 2004, 2005, he's had one season in England, think, oh, you'll settle now. Let's see how he goes. And 14 appearances in all competitions. He was then sold to Besiktas for 2.95 million euros on a three-year deal. Uh, he won the Turkish Cup or the Turkish Super Cup. But after two seasons, he said, my wages aren't being paid on time. I want out. Uh, and he, he wanted out. And during this time, he'd missed 25 games through injury. So injuries were starting to play their part. So he was frozen out of the Brazil side at this time. He was missing games for Turkey. He wasn't getting paid on time. He was unhappy. He walked out two years into a three-year deal. Yeah, September 2007, he signed for Flamengo on a free, but was ineligible to play until the next February because of the way he ed- exited Besiktas. He was ordered to pay 3.18 million euros for a breach of contract, and this was later to reduce to a million. But still, it's, it hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how much money you're, you're making if you're ordered to pay that much back. So he's back in Brazil. He's in his late 20s now, but he started slowly for Flamengo. He's playing in the reserves, but by 2009, 29 years old, he'd established himself back in the first team. Then he dislocated his shoulder. He was out again, but recovered quickly and helped Flamengo win the Brazilian league. He got called back up to the Brazil national squad by Dunga, but only managed one appearance at the 2010 World Cup, and that was his last in a Brazil shirt. So 20, 2011, he's 31. Heads back to Atletico Paranense for a season, then back to Flamengo for a season, then two seasons of Brazilian side Bayer. Then, like all old Brazilian footy stars, he made his way to the MLS in 2013 for the Philadelphia Union for one season, then the North American Soccer League for two seasons with Indy 11, then a final season with Fort Lauderdale Strikers in 2016. So, like I was saying, it's different from other kind of Vunderkins because it's not like he broke out on on a global scale at 17. He was in his early 20s, but the fact that he had, like we said, that progression from playing well in Brazil, playing well for Brazil, winning the World Cup United, that's enough of a think of a curve for when it dovetails to look like a dramatic dovetail. But like we said, World Cup winner, FA Cup winner, uh, won the Turkish Cup and the Super Cup. He won the Brazilian League a couple of times. And since then, since 2017, he's still in the US. He worked as a first coach of Philadelphia Union's Youth Academy from 2017, took over their B team in 2022. And he, since 2022, he's worked as the assistant coach of New York City FC. And he's credited his work with Fergie and Phil Scolari for shaping his mentality on the pitch. But said for him, the reason it didn't work out in United is he just couldn't adapt his style of play to the Premier League. Fair enough, because it came at a weird yeah. time for my night as well, because that was the Jemba Jemba years as well. Oh, Big Eric. <laughs> yeah, Big Eric, as everyone called him. But yeah, as you say, Veron didn't work, he didn't work, Jemba Jemba didn't work, Roy Keane mm. was getting towards the end of his time in England. Um, so yeah, it was a weird time for my night in that midfield. 
Well, yeah, again, talking about that kind of like those those weird years for Man United's midfield, when Cleberson got his call back up to Brazil in 2009, it was mainly as a reserve for Anderson, who was at United for far longer than I remembered as well. Um, well, but, he was the dog's bollocks until he wasn't. I remember him, yeah. you know, when the papers go, oh, he's got fat. Well, he's not, you know. Yeah. But fat for a footballer, I guess. And they just sort of went off the rails completely, didn't he? I don't know. He yeah. might have done. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as sad a, a story of a... Um, of a Vunderkin this week. I thought we'd have a bit of, you know, brevity because considering I'm coming off a birthday and all that and I'm in a relatively good mood, I thought we'll have a nice one in Claberson. Yeah, he won a World Cup. It could be worse. It could be worse. We go on to the Roberto Mail Baggio. Please submit to Ross at HoldingGive.com. We only have two this week because that's all we received. It was a barren wasteland was the Roberto Mail Baggio. So that's Ross at HoldingGive.com. Good morning, afternoon and evening, gents. A simple question for the Mail Baggio. Other than your obvious answers of Shira for Ross or Gerard for Clive which player do you think has or had the best suited or most underrated name when screamed on commentary as they're kick it, kicking it into the goal hole one of my picks having given it at least 30 seconds thought would be Collie Moore not, not for me Collymore closing in oh it's still in my head there uh, keep up the good work lads Alex from Sully 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 um, I'll go first. The, the, I went back to where my heart and my memory and my mind reside. I went back to the nineties, and the first two that came to mind were uh, Davosuka and uh, the King of Fiorentina, Batigol. Batigol, yeah, that was going to be one of mine. My mind goes back to slightly after yeah. that, and it's Clive Tilsley on ITV on a Champions League night, and he go Solsha. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. with Clive Tilsley is a match made in heaven. <laughs> we 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 had a game of uh, five aside years ago, one of the ones where we just we haven't played for a while, so we were just getting back into the swing of things, and we were saying that goals don't count unless you uh, say someone's name before it. And the only person who remembered <laughs> was my, my mate Steve Thorpe picked it up on the left, and I just hear him quietly go, "Risa." and he <laughs> smashed it into the top corner. Fantastic! It better have been with his left foot. No, his right foot. It doesn't count then. You can't shout Risa for that. He he didn't he didn't release the Kraken properly, Ross. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> but there we go. I'm gonna go Solskjaer for man. You've gone Batty Goal and the other one you said that I can't remember. Davor Suka. Davor Hi, Ross and Jacksons. Since my welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback Purvis Dest opinion, what are you talking about was destroyed by Ross. I have come back with another. After watching some basketball, I think it might be fun to have an all-star game like they do at the end of the season, but we do North versus South instead of East versus West. I know it's an extra game in an already crowded season, but I think it might be a nice way to end the season and also a bit of fun. Uh, Players will be decided by team of the season and maybe votes max two per club, unless that's not possible. Let me know what you think. Loving the content and the channel. That comes from Scotty Spencer. Uh, In a fantasy land, it's a good idea. Um, I like the all-star weekend of basketball. I like the all-star weekend of baseball as well because uh, they do, you know, the dunk and the home run competitions is what I mainly watch rather than the actual uh, all-star matches themselves. But in reality, it would be far too risky, especially if people are just flying in with those blood and thunder tackles. And also, I think that the, the definition of North and South would be hard because you'd have just it, brummies crying, wouldn't you? It would change every year as well, wouldn't it? It would, yeah, yeah. I think if you had, I don't know how to balance it, probably like London versus England. 
because there's that many teams <laughs> of London, if you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe it's L- London is the where the South cuts off, and everything else above London is North. Mm. <laughs> I think it's a good idea, but I would play. I would do it instead of the Charity Shield. Ooh, that's where I'd put it. I wouldn't do it at the end of yeah. the season. I'd do it as the first, the curtain raiser. Book of cliches. The curtain raiser for the season, because uh, I think obviously it it it's it just. The Community Shield is a friendly until you're involved in it. Then it's a proper game. But yeah. I think everyone accepts it's a friendly. So maybe replacing it with that and, you know, a similar trophy getting won by the winning team. I like the North versus South thing, but as I say, it depends. And maybe you have to max it to two players per club as well, or maybe one player per club. I don't know how it would work. You'd have to... Because otherwise you just have Manchester City and Liverpool versus Arsenal and Chelsea. <laughs> Not Chelsea. Arsenal and Spurs. Sorry. <laughs> That sounds like a weird tag match, that, doesn't it? I'm just imagine 44 players on a really wide pitch. <laughs> but I think there's some legs now. I just think, yeah, different different time of the year rather than the last game of the season. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know match, but like you were saying there, that you got the dunk competition, the home run competition for the basketball and the baseball. If you had something like a audacious goal thing. <laughs> the audacious goal competition. You really yeah. are a romantic when it comes to football there, Jack Atkins. <laughs> well, I do love an audacious goal. Like I said, I once played with a lad who said, yeah, John Arnaurisa under his breath as he struck a ball. Um, but I, have you ever watched like many uh, basketball dunk competitions? Never. I've seen like the, the, the halftime one where they make the, the, the punter come down from the, the crowd and win a, a big boatload of money. Yeah. So the, the dunk competitions all-star weekend and they get more and more outrageous. So it's just, you, you've got... You want player who's going up for the dunk and they can have props, they can have another teammate setting them up. So you like one person would throw it up and they'd do a 360 and dunk it. Uh, Blake Griffin once did one where his mate popped out of the sunroof of a car and threw the ball up and he dove. jumped over people sat on chairs people have done all this stuff with mascots so if you could do something like that with football like i know erling holland diving off a ladder or something stupid like that i'm fully game for that fully game for what you've just said there make it happen yeah and i think as well uh i don't know if this in baseball or basketball they have a race for all the mascots as well so i just want to see gunasaurus pelting it around while being chased by uh Mighty Red being chased by... Uh, the West the, the, Brom the top, Boiler. <laughs> West Brom's Boiler and uh, uh, Peter Beardsley. And just having them <laughs> legging it around the pitch. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we don't do the mascot races somewhere because they do it in the cricket and it's always a great time. Because we're a bit stuffy. We hate mascots, don't we, in, in, in English football? We're just like, oh, no time and place for that. Um, Can you believe there's a fully grown adult but in that costume? I can't believe you'd do that for a job, eh? <laughs> Go get a job, your real job, you wanker. Um, if if you're not following out there, I know you don't really use it much anymore. I try not to use it as much, but on Twitter slash X, call it what you want. Mascots Minute Silence is a fantastic page to follow. It's yeah. brilliant. Unbelievable scenes. And it's it's the yeah. perfect time. Well, we've just had the perfect time again for those those cracking pictures. The mm. Remembrance Sunday stuff, and there's a mascot there bowing their head. Anyway, that was the Roberto <laughs> Mailbagio for this week. Ross at holdandgift.com for next week's. We'll wrap it up there. Jack, is there any closing remarks before we go away? Um, No, I'm. I'm oh, no, hello. 
Bye. Hello and bye. Before you go, please make sure to click one of these two videos that are appearing on screen right now if you are watching on YouTube because staying on this channel helps out the algorithm and all that kind of bollocks. Are you all right there? Yeah, I would just have my head in my hands for just how crap I am at this job sometimes. But you know what? It's 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 the giving season, Ross, and I've given myself a bit too much of a hard time here. What can I say? Yeah, don't hold yourself down like that. Just keep giving, Jack. And that's it. Click one of the two videos, please. We'll see you next week for some more Holding Give Football podcast. Mm. Yeah.